Hello everyone, and welcome to the Board Game Breakdown Podcast. In this podcast, we're going to dive deep into a single mechanic or feature that makes a board game compelling. My name is Aaron Hall, I'm your host, and I thank you for being here. Each episode, we start by looking at a board game-related feature topic before jumping into a breakdown of a board game mechanic. In this episode, we're going to break down a mechanic in the game Marvel Champions. This living card game from Fantasy Flight is one of the top games out there. It's very popular, very highly ranked on Board Game Geek. You probably know someone who ranks this as one of their favorite games, or maybe you're someone who ranks it as your favorite game. Once I learned about Marvel Champions, I had a lot of interest in it. I'm a decently big fan of superheroes, although less so these days than maybe in the past. But I sought out the game and kind of picked up several of the extras and a few expansions and got some plays in and really discovered a mechanic that I found to be one of the neatest and just most thematic mechanics out there. Something that really elevates this game and gives it some depth that I really, really enjoyed. But before we get into that, let's get to our feature topic. Our feature topic for this episode is the wide world of themes. I think one of the most wonderful aspects of the board gaming hobby is the seemingly endless variety of themes that are available. I was at my family's house recently, and after enjoying a delicious meal of homemade tacos, I introduced everyone to the new Phil Walker Harding game, Planted. If you're not familiar with it, it's a drafting game where you have different house plants and you're trying to get the proper resources to feed your plants, which scores you points. It's kind of a card drafting game where you'd pick a card and then pass your hand to the next person. We were playing this and having a good time and my mom came through the room and she was just amazed that a game about house plants existed. She stopped and she's pointing and she recognized some of the plants because she has house plants in her home. And she was just really kind of shocked that a game about house plants had been made, that someone had not only made it, but that I had been willing to spend my money and buy it. The funny thing is that until she mentioned it, I didn't even realize how outlandish the theme was. Of all the things to build a game around purchasing and feeding houseplants, it's definitely not the most exciting thing. But in the world of board games, houseplants, it's just one of the many unique and interesting themes that are out there. Weird themes are so commonplace, they don't even phase board gamers. It took an outside person pointing it out for me to even take a second thought about the fact that playing a game about houseplants isn't the most normal thing in the world. Now, anytime you start talking about theme, you invite a little bit of controversy from a very vocal minority who say that theme doesn't matter or that theme isn't real. They'll tell you that at the end of the day, you're just playing cards with point values on them, regardless if they have Darth Vader on them or a houseplant on them. And I wanted to address that really quickly because I've run into people like that a few times and they can be a little difficult. So my advice to you is this, don't waste any time worrying about what those people think. These are the same people who hate Star Trek because they've discovered scientific discrepancies in how warp technology works. Or they hate action movies because a certain gun only holds 13 bullets in real life, but they saw John Wick clearly fire that same gun 17 times in the movie, and so that ruined the movie for them. You know, board games are entertainment, and a good theme can take a good game and elevate it to the next level of entertainment. So for those of you out there who hate on theme, I love you, and I gently 
suggest that you maybe get over yourself a little bit and learn to enjoy life more. And for any of you who run into these anti-theme people, just kind of pat them on the head and nod and move on. Uh, they can keep playing their abstract games or their train games or whatever they like, and we can continue enjoying theme. When I started planning out this episode and I knew I wanted to talk about theme, I thought it would be fitting to talk about some of my favorite board game themes. I figured I'd put together my top 10 or top five favorite themes and talk about them. It turns out that was way more difficult than I expected. Honestly, there are only two definitive themes I can tell you for sure that are most heavily represented in my favorite games. And those two themes are fantasy and space. And that's thrilling, I know. Those are two of like the most generic themes. It's funny that I started off talking about the wide world of themes and then my favorite two are among the most generic of them all. I was actually surprised by how many of my favorite games fell into the fantasy category. But the fact remains that beyond the obvious themes, there still remain a ton of games that fall so far outside the traditional categories. Some of the unique themes I spotted in my own collection include futuristic baseball and baseball highlights 2045. You've got running a cupcake business and cupcake empire. You can play a game of kind of cat and mouse between a detective and the phantom of the opera in the two-player game La Fantome de la Opera, which just as an aside, it's not a good game at all. I don't want to mislead you and make you think that just because I own it and that it has a unique theme, it's good. I played it once. I hated it. I probably owe it one more chance, but just I can't bring myself to do it. I can't play it again, but it does have a very unique theme. Uh, what else? Dog sled racing and the fantastic race game Snowtails. That's another great unique theme. Those are just some of the out of the ordinary themes I came across on my own shelves. But there are so many more out there. There are cooking games. There's games where you're running a hospital. A game where you're a lawyer in a court case. There's just so many incredible themes that we get to explore through the great board game hobby. I'd like to encourage you to branch out of your thematic comfort zone when purchasing your next game. I'll do it as well. I'll try to find something that isn't fantasy and isn't space related. Something that gives me a theme unlike most of the other games that I own. I'll be sure to report back on what I end up finding. I want to close out this feature topic by looking at some of the strangest themed board games I could find. I did some research on this and I knew I was gonna come across some strange themes, some weird stuff, but the stuff that I found went pretty far beyond my wildest expectations. I don't even know how to rank these, so I'm just gonna jump in. I found a bunch, but I'm just gonna share a few. Let's start with Unexploded Cow, a 2001 card game in which you send mad cows through a field of unexploded bombs. Let's just say that not every cow is gonna make it out alive. Clearly, this this game wasn't meant to be serious and they try very hard to stress that it's mad cows suggesting that they're diseased and so blowing them up on landmines and bombs is somehow less terrible than if they weren't diseased. I don't know, I, it's, a, it's a wacky theme either way. It looks terrible. I can't even begin to imagine that it's any good, but if you're gonna talk about most unique themes, I felt like this kind of had to be on the list. Next, let's talk about the 2020 release, Cosmic Frog. Here's just a little bit of info from the Board Game Geek page. Control your two mile tall, overpowered, cosmic frog to harvest the best terrain. That's just one line. 
And if you think that line's strange, just wait because it gets better. Here's the next line. At the start of the game, your frogs descend from the ether, the cosmic sea between the worlds, onto a terrain-rich shard of Aeth. Once on the shard, you harvest land and store it in your massive gullet. When your gullet is sufficiently full, you leap into the ether and disgorge your gullet contents into your interdimensional vault for permanent storage. Then return to the shard to collect more land. And yes, that was all a direct quote from the description. I'm sort of stunned that this game exists. I cannot, no matter how hard I try, I can't resist the desire to want to check this out, even though the game itself doesn't really look like my kind of thing. So maybe one day I'll talk to you about Cosmic Frog and let you know what my thoughts are when I play it. Okay, next up is the 2011 release, Kolejka. This game is set in Poland at the end of the communist era and is meant to educate people about what life was like at the time. You learn this harsh reality through the gameplay, which sees you sending out your family members to wait in lines outside of grocery stores. Most stores have empty shelves and get few to no deliveries. So you have to use your cards to try to move up in line and hope that you chose the store that's actually getting a delivery that turn. So it's really a game about waiting in line, I guess. Maybe the most fascinating part of this is the fact that the game was released by the Poland Institute of National Remembrance. The country of Poland made this game to educate people about the hard hardships of life during the end of the communist era. If that's not a unique theme, I don't know what is. To be fair and just completely honest, the game itself looks horribly, dreadfully boring and the production quality is not good at all. So this isn't one that I'll be seeking out. It's not one you should probably seek out, but it has a unique theme, that's for sure. Another very unique theme comes in the highly rated 2016 release, Millennium Blades. It's not a collectible card game. It's a game in which you play a character who in turn plays a fictional collectible card game. When I read the description of this game, I was both confused and weirdly just excited to go buy it and play it. It reminds me a lot of being younger and watching Yu-Gi-Oh, which was a show about characters who played a card game, but in real life, you could buy those cards and play the same card game that the characters play in the show. So for both Yu-Gi-Oh and Millennium Blades, it's a very meta theme. And I'm kind of shocked that people seem to agree that it somehow works here in Millennium Blades. I can see how it would work for a card game like Yu-Gi-Oh because it exists as its own thing outside of the show. Millennium Blades, the board game, you're helping your character acquire more cards, I guess like buying booster packs, and you actually build decks, and you compete in tournaments to prove your best at the game within the game. So the game is to help a fake character play a fake game of their own. I don't know, it's confusing and also kind of amazing. Two of my closest friends in life are deep into Magic the Gathering right now. So I'm sure this is something they'll love. I'll be buying this one at some point. I guarantee they're gonna eat it up. So expect to hear more about Millennium Blades some way down the line. The final unique theme I'm gonna mention comes from a game that I can barely believe is real. Pecunia Non Olet is a game initially released in 2005 before a second edition came out in 2016. In this game, you play as a businessman in ancient Rome. What business are you in? Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. You own a toilet and you're charging people to come and poop there. 
different customers have different needs. And from the pictures I've seen of this game, it seems to indicate that there are turd tokens that I guess use to show how much people are pooping, I guess. I have no idea how the mechanics work or what the actual rules are, but there you go. This seems like an April Fool's joke, but it's apparently all too real. I've never played it. I doubt I'll ever play it. Apparently very few people have played it, but it's out there and it exists. The title of the game translates to Money Does Not Stink, in case you were curious. Uh, it's something it's out there not saying it's good but you cannot argue that it doesn't have a unique theme or you can't argue that it does have double negative whatever so there you have it those are some games with outrageously unique themes i'm really thankful that even though there are some major themes that dominate the board game landscape and like i said those major themes dominate my own board game collection but there's also a really huge variety of other themes that get released every year maybe we don't need more poop themed games but i'm glad that publishers take chances on new and unique themes it's one of the many things that makes this such a fun and enduring hobby that's enough about themes now let's take a look at a mechanic from the game Marvel Champions. Marvel Champions is a one to four player living card game designed by Michael Boggs, Nate French, and Caleb Grace. It was published in 2019 by Fantasy Flight Games and currently sits at the very impressive number 36 rank overall on Board Game Geek. This is a cooperative game that sees players choosing a Marvel superhero and teaming up to take on a villain. Each villain will have their own evil scheme that they're trying to accomplish, and the heroes will need to manage the scheming while also doing enough damage to the villain to defeat them. The core box of this comes with five heroes, Iron Man, She-Hulk, Black Panther, Spider-Man, and Captain Marvel. It also comes with the villains Rhino, Claw, and Ultron, as well as a whole bunch of lesser villains and schemes that will get shuffled into the main villain's deck at the start of each game. Players can use one of the two pre-built starter decks in the box or create their own deck using different categories of cards to bolster your hero's 15 unique cards. One of the great thematic touches to this game are the inclusion of obligation cards. Each superhero has one of these. It's something specific to their circumstances as a character. For Spider-Man, the card is an eviction notice and it causes the player to choose between two negative effects. For Iron Man, the card is business problems and you again have to choose between two negative effects as Tony has to deal with issues at Stark Industries. I've seen some complaints people have with these cards because while they're thematic in nature, the action required to clear them is usually pretty similar no matter what character you're playing. Honestly, that's a fair criticism, but I still think these cards add a really neat thematic wrinkle to the game. If you've ever read a comic book, you know that one of the key things that keeps them interesting is the balancing act these characters have to do between their superhero lives and their regular lives. The obligation cards bring that into the game in a really clever way. I love the fact that on one turn, Spider-Man is fighting Rhino in the streets of New York, and on the next turn, Peter Parker is having to take care of personal issues so he doesn't get kicked out of his apartment. It's really on brand and helps to make Marvel Champions feel like a living comic book. Another cool touch that's along this same line is the fact that every hero has their own personal nemesis. Certain things within the game can trigger the arrival of your nemesis. And so in addition to dealing with the main villain in their scheme, 
you'll have to deal with your personal nemesis and whatever scheme they have going on. Again, it's just a very comic book kind of thing and goes a long way to engrossing you into the superhero world of this game. Back to the gameplay, once you've got your hero set up and the villain deck set up, you're ready to dive in. And to be honest, there's nothing particularly groundbreaking about how the gameplay in Marvel Champions works. First, the players take their turns. This includes drawing cards and paying for those cards by discarding other cards. There's some decent variety to the cards in each of the hero decks. You'll have allies that can join you on the battlefield, equipment and superpowers that will upgrade your hero, support teams, and even locations that assist. One card that I find really thematic and interesting is the Aunt May card in Spider-Man's deck. She stays in play and you can use her to heal damage off of Peter Parker, which just feels really charming and thematic to me. I love this idea of sweet Aunt May making a home-cooked meal for Peter and making him feel better. You'll also have different attacks that you can use to fight the supervillain or any of the goons that they may have brought into play. Once you play all the cards you can and take your main action, play goes to the next player who does all the same things. Once all players are done, the villain takes their turn. The villain will activate against each player, either attacking them directly or scheming to add progress to their evil scheme and pushing it closer to completion. Then each player has to draw and face one card from the villain's encounter deck. These cards can be side schemes, little side missions that the player will have to contend with. They can be more goons that engage with the player and they'll have to be fought. They can also be equipment and upgrades for the supervillain. Once that's done, the players are ready to go again and you switch back to the player phase. Now, the mechanic that we're gonna break down today is called the Alter Ego. If you know anything about comic book heroes, you know that every hero has their superhero identity and their secret identity. There's Captain America, but when he's just chilling at home, he's just Steve Rogers. Spider-Man swings through the streets, but Peter Parker is just a nerd trying to make ends meet. And no, I didn't make that rhyme on purpose, that was just a coincidence. Like I mentioned earlier, when I was talking about the obligation cards, at the core of all great comic book stories is the balance these characters have to manage between being these larger-than-life, Earth-defending heroes and also regular people. Up until Marvel Champions, I've seen no superhero-themed game even attempt to incorporate this. You're just Spider-Man fighting bad guys, or you're just Iron Man fighting bad guys or you're just whatever superhero fighting bad guys. That's one of the reasons why I love the alter ego mechanic in Marvel Champions. Here's how the alter ego mechanic works. Once per turn, you can flip your hero card from one side to the other. So if you're on the Spider-Man side, you can flip it over and now you're just Peter Parker. Doing this presents several new and different options to you. Remember that Aunt May card I mentioned earlier, the one you can use to heal Peter Parker? Well, this only works if you're in your alter ego form. So it only works if your hero card is on the Peter Parker side. I'm not sure what the status quo is in the comics. I'm not up to date on them, but usually Aunt May doesn't know that Peter is Spider-Man. So it makes sense that she would only be used when in Peter Parker mode. In addition to interacting with different cards in their own deck differently, depending on what mode you're in, your superhero and alter ego have different abilities. Let's look at the Hulk, a character that's far different depending on what mode he's in. When he's in Hulk mode, at the end of his turn, Hulk has to discard all of his cards because he's enraged. Normally in the game, you can keep cards from turn to turn, 
but not the angry, raging Hulk. In a stark difference, you have the genius, analytical mind of his alter ego, Bruce Banner. Not only does he not have to discard his hand at the end of your turn, but he actually has an ability to draw and cycle cards. So depending on if you're in alter ego mode or not, your hand management situation is going to be completely different. And it makes sense from a thematic standpoint. Another great example of this is Cyclops from the upcoming X-Men expansion for Marvel Champions. In hero form, Cyclops can perform his patented optic blast. When he's in alter ego mode as Scott Summers, he's the serious leader we all know and love. And so his ability is about training and allows him to search his deck for a tactics upgrade and add it to his hand. Again, it's a perfectly thematic way to show the two sides of these characters. There's one more major feature of the alter ego mechanic that I want to talk about, and that's how it works when it comes to the supervillain. I explained earlier that after each player phase, the villain will come after each player individually. The way in which that plays out is different based on which form you're currently in. If you're in Spider-Man form, then the villain attacks you. But what if you're in Peter Parker form? Well, that means you're off doing something else in your secret identity. And so the villain advances the progress on his evil scheme. Again, I love this because it's deeply thematic. If on a turn I'm fighting Rhino and he roughs me up, then it makes complete thematic sense that on the next turn, I'm gonna go into Peter Parker mode, go craft some upgrades to my Spidey suit, heal up my cuts and bruises by joining Aunt May for dinner and preparing myself for my next encounter with Rhino. And since he's not out in the streets fighting Spider-Man, it makes thematic sense that Rhino is able to progress whatever his evil scheme is. The alter ego mechanic almost forces the game to create these authentic feeling comic book stories that ebb and flow between action sequences and more quiet character moments. So normally this is the part of the mechanic breakdown where I tell you how much I love the game and how you should pick it up. But today is a groundbreaking day here on the podcast because I have to tell you, I actually strongly, strongly dislike Marvel Champions. I've got a ton of respect for it thematically. And obviously I really, really like the alter ego mechanic, but overall as a game, I find Marvel Champions to be an absolute bore. It plays so slowly. You make progress slowly. The villains have tons of hit points and multiple phases. So your reward for hitting them 25 times is that they go into the next phase and you get to hit them 25 more times. I also don't find the hero decks to be particularly inspired. There's not that much variety or interest to the cards and the things that you're doing. You're healing a few points of damage. You're drawing a card. You're doing a few points of damage. It just feels very samey. Even the slightly more complex or complicated heroes that I've played still felt more or less like all the other ones. Look, I know I'm hugely in the minority here. Not only do most people like this game, but there's a large part of the board game playing population that love this game and are obsessed with it. And I'm totally happy for anyone who's into this. If you love Marvel Champions, I'm all for it and I'm happy for you. But I can say without reservation that this game is just not for me. I've played other living card games from Fantasy Flight before. I'm actually a fan of the genre, even though these games really do become money pits. But there's just something about Marvel Champions that I find to be boring. My advice is try it out before you start investing in it. I very foolishly pumped a decent amount of extra money into this one 
before I had even played it more than a handful of times. So I ended up with the base game, several add-on characters, and one big box expansion before I realized just how much I disliked it. So while it's got some great thematic mechanisms, Marvel Champions is a game that I suggest you try before you buy, if at all possible. As we near the end of the episode, I always like to mention a game I'm looking forward to playing soon. This time around, the answer is simple. I want to play more Clank. I was a very late arrival to the Clank bandwagon. I just had my first play of it a few weeks ago, and I loved it so much. I immediately understood why there's so much love for this game. It's got all the pure deck building stuff that we all know and love. And you add in the great stress of trying to survive your delve into the dungeon. There's this incredible anxiety as the cubes are being drawn from the bag when the dragon attacks. It's just so much fun. I love games that are just pure fun and Clank definitely falls in that category. I'm looking forward to playing it again soon and trying out some new strategies. And that's it for this episode. But before you go, please take a moment and listen to all the ways you can reach the show. I really like to hear from anyone who's out there listening. There's such a huge variety of opinions and takes on board games and board game related topics. And I wanna hear from you. Do you love Marvel Champions and you think I am just completely out of line? Let's hear it. I, I would love to, to hear your take on it. The best way to reach the show is by email. That's Aaron at bgbreakdown.com. Aaron with two A's, A-A-R-O-N. On Facebook, search for Board Game Breakdown. We've got a page there. We're most active on Instagram at BG Breakdown. And on Board Game Arena, we are BG Breakdown. Send us a friend invite. We'll play a game sometime. And that's all we've got. I hope you're having a wonderful week. I really appreciate you spending a little time here listening about board games. I hope you're taking care of yourself and that everything's going good in your world. And I look forward to talking to you in the next episode.